Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he, said, had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father hath sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let us pray. Our Father, we rejoice in the resurrection of our Savior. We ask that you would fill us with your Spirit and open our hearts and minds that we would receive your Word May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We see plenty in Scripture about what Jesus did. We, we know the story of what he did when he was resurrected. But have you ever asked yourself about the things he didn't do? Notably, have you ever wondered why Jesus did not appear to any of his enemies? We know about his appearance to his friends. But wouldn't, if you were setting out what was going to happen, would you not have wanted him to just show up and tap Caiaphas on the back shoulder and say, guess who? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't, but I have. <laughs> of all the people he could have appeared to, the only record we have is of him appearing to the apostles, to Mary, and later to a broader band of his followers. If redemption was complete, here's a, a broader question, if redemption was complete after his resurrection, why didn't Jesus go ahead and just bring the kingdom in right then and there? What, what else was there? Besides us being born, of course. But what else? Why didn't he go ahead and do it? Was everything not finished? Our answer to that question says something about our view of God's kingdom. Jesus' post-resurrection ministry was not about his vindication before his enemies, but to strengthen and encourage his followers and to vindicate to them, to his followers, God's quiet plan to restore the world. When Jesus walked on earth, he did not assert his will to power. We, we, we know what he said at one point, that he could call legions of angels. And you know from reading the Old Testament what just one single angel was capable of. 
So Jesus could have called his angels to establish the kingdom at any time. That's actually what Satan offered him on the mount when he was tempted. He said, I'll give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. So with the power of Jesus himself and the offer, that was a temptation. But had Jesus taken that route, there would be no cross and there would be no resurrection and hence no salvation. Just... It would be just the God-man putting this world to the torch it so rightfully deserves. But after the crucifixion, our redemption was accomplished. So Jesus then could have established the kingdom in power or with power. Yet for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus continued the same type of ministry he had before. He taught his, his disciples. And we don't even get to eavesdrop on many of those conversations. Scripture gives more attention to his physical appearance and actually his taking our set laws of physics and saying, actually, I've got a better plan which tells you something, or just actually drops a few tantalizing hints of the resurrected body that awaits the saints. Physics is going to take on a whole new meaning. It's going to be truly metaphysics at that point. Therefore, we must conclude that Jesus' teachings after his resurrection were not altogether different than they were before. Aside from the shock of his resurrection, the recorded events and the teaching that we have actually sounds downright ordinary. His first appearance was to Mary at the tomb. He obviously did not appear in a glorious way because she suspects him of being the gardener. Now, how much more ordinary can you get than being the guy who takes care of the grounds around the tomb? She asked him if he's done something with the body. It's great irony in that question. Oh, yes, he's done something with that body. Only after calling her by name does she recognize him. When he looks at her and says, Mary, in that way that only the God-man can say it. His first appearance, brothers and sisters, was not to a crowd. It was not even to his apostles. It was to one single individual, one of his most tender-hearted followers. And that should tell you something about the shepherd king we serve. He is not nearly as interested in proving himself. Well, what does he have to prove to the world? The world's going to bow before him one day. Everyone who has ever existed, that the knees will bow. That's coming. Right now, he is encouraging his followers. 
And the same Lord who came to Mary in her greatest time of weeping and discouragement comes to us. Not just once, but over and over and over again. This is the God we serve. This is the Savior who poured out His life for us. But He doesn't just tell her alone. He, yes, He demonstrates that He is indeed resurrected, but then He sends her. He encourages her, and He tells her then to go tell His disciples. And what's the message? Tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So He, he encourages, He gives strength, and then He sends out. Later that evening, the disciples were locked away in a room for fear. Understandably, if you knew that there was a potential execution squad going around hunting down those and they had already executed one, it's not that far-fetched. But Jesus, despite the locked room, appears in their midst. And I know I've said this type of thing before, and it's from C.S. Lewis, but don't think that Jesus' resurrected body was so ethereal, so, so, so barely there that he was able to pass through the door. Think of more of like that his body was so strong. His new body was of such a substance that the door is what was ethereal. Just like you going through a few feathers. That's probably closer. But he comes to them and says, the very first words, peace be with you. So he speaks peace to them. He showed them his pierced hands and sighed. And then what is their response? They were glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad. So what is he doing here? He appears to the apostles and he strengthens them. He encourages them. He builds them up as well. Jesus banished the fear they had. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this is like early Pentecost. So look, look, guys, you don't have to wait for Pentecost. Here goes. And he, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them, whoever sins that you remit, they're remitted. Whoever sins you retain, they're retained. But Luke, Luke fills out this account more in Luke 24. Luke explains when he appears to the apostles, he adds something else. Jesus says... And I, I'm going to, to translate this in, into to the uh, new, new Southern version. Uh, do you have anything to eat here? Jesus said, do you have anything to How much more human can you get? Did he need something? Did he need food? Probably not. But this is the, 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 this is the Savior, and he's asking them in something just very normal. Do you have anything to eat here? And he proceeds to eat fish and honeycomb. 
He didn't have to wait for the land of milk and honey because the one who brings his people into the land of milk and honey was right there. And then Luke records the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who met Jesus but didn't recognize him again. No fantastic glory. They just think, stranger. He asked them what's wrong. And, and we know what happens. They explain, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. But he doesn't just leave them and say, come on, guys, you should, have got, you should have caught on by now. No, he then goes, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explains how the scriptures point to him. So what? again, he's teaching. He keeps on. It's like this, this three days of being gone he just picks right back up where he left off. It's somewhat like when John Calvin was sent away. Uh, he was exiled from Geneva for a time because of some, some of the stances that he took by the city council. And his last sermon, he preached on a particular passage before he was exiled. And then several years later, the council brought him back. They said, we want you to come back. And then the very next Sunday, he picked up on the very next verse from where he'd left off several years prior. Okay, Jesus just picks right back up with teaching and with encouraging. And then, of course, he blesses on the road to Emmaus. He, they said, well, you have something to eat with us. And he blesses the food. And then when he blessed the food, that was it. That's when they knew. And, of course, John 21, Jesus is on the shore and, when he, he, and the disciples, they recognized it was him after they'd been fishing all night and, and they returned. And then what did he have? Jesus had cooked breakfast for them. Food has a lot to do with the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. He keeps on. These 40 days we see him teaching, eating, and communing and encouraging his followers. But that doesn't explain, though, why he didn't inaugurate the kingdom. At the very least, why didn't he reveal himself to those enemies? I mean, they said, if you would come down from the cross, we'd believe you. Well, but I got to bust a bubble here, okay? Even had he shown himself to them, Hard hearts can only be softened by the power of the Spirit. If he would have shown himself to his enemies, they would have still found a way to not believe. It's possible. Jesus had accomplished everything at this point except his final ascension. So what was there to further draw out? Why would he, would he not bring everything in and culminate the kingdom? There's two reasons. First of all, the resurrection of Christ was not the final point of his ministry. And second, destroying his enemies was not the primary purpose of his ministry. So what was that primary purpose? 
We read in John chapter 12, verse 23 through 26, the triumphal entry had just happened. And there's a couple of Greek men who come to Philip. And they ask, they tell Philip, we'd like to see Jesus. And Jesus responded with one of his enigmatic sayings that John loves to write about. He says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. So this is his response. Jesus had spent his earthly ministry up to this last week of his life battling principalities and powers, healing the sick, teaching those who would listen, and all around proclaiming and demonstrating God's kingdom. But nowhere do we read of that being where being tied to glory. Old Testament prophets did those things. They battled the principalities and powers. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? And many other places we could talk about. They healed. They proclaimed. They taught. But that's not where the glory comes from. Jesus is saying here that His glory would come through His suffering and death. The hour has come, He said, that the Son of Man should be glorified. And He goes on to talk about then the wheat that must fall to the ground and die. The glory of Christ was to die and rise again like that grain of wheat. I mean, when you think about one man dying, how many people have died in human history? Now, I know he is the God-man. I'm not subtracting from that. But if, if you take a secular perspective, if you take a perspective that doesn't see him as the Lord of the cosmos, one death is not that big a deal. And in the broader sense of history, it's not like all the people of Rome were talking about in, in the empire were saying, can you believe who they just crucified? No. It was a small thing. But it's only through the death of the God-man that a new resurrected stalk of wheat could rise and produce supernatural fruit, the likes of which the world had never seen. The death of Christ was actually, in a way, it was the opposite of the death of Samson. Do you remember the, the last story of Sans, Samson? Very sad. Samson is between the two pillars, and he is, all of God's enemies are all around making sport, the Philistines, and Samson puts his hands on the pillars, and he asks God to give him strength one more time. Samson is willing, he says, he's willing to die so that God's enemies will also die. I'm not saying he was wrong in that. But just as a, as a type, an anti-type, Jesus 
died so that his enemies might live. And not only live, but become his friends. Think about it. He doesn't, he did not come so he could say, you know what, I'm gonna save just a few and then I'm gonna, it's gonna be so nasty what I do to everybody else. That's not what he's here for. Yes, there is judgment. I'm not ignoring that. That does happen. And it will happen at the end. But there's a reason why another parable about wheat, we read that there was a farmer who sows wheat and then the enemy comes and he sows tares and then the servants say, do you want us to go and separate the wheat from the tares? They want to get about the business right now. But the farmer says, no, no, that will be at the end. You let all the harvest come up and then the separation will happen. So the judgment comes. But thank the Lord, it's not yet. Those enemies of Christ would not acknowledge him just because he appeared in his resurrected state. They would know because they would know that Jesus is who he says he is because his apostles. Because Jesus' apostles and followers loved, proclaimed, and obeyed the Savior to the point of death. You see, it would be through the power and the work of the Spirit coming after Christ ascended that the next phase of ministry began. So Jesus is saying in John 12 that His ministry would continue after His death because His servants would continue to love and serve him. As he, Jesus said, where I am, there my servants are as well. So the ones who love his life will lose it. If you try to just protect yourself and you say, I'm in this for me. I'm going to get the most that I can get. Well, you're actually going to lose what little you have. But if you're willing to do what we read of his followers doing, which is to give themselves totally to him, and to his work, well, we know the world would not be the same. So Jesus appeared to his followers after the resurrection because they are the ones who would continue his ministry on earth. The resurrection is the culmination of God's plan. There was no change now that the Lord has a resurrected body. His resurrection is just, it's the beginning of the next phase. Considering the cosmic nature of his resurrection, that first Easter was actually pretty quiet. He appears to Mary. He appears to the other apostles. At some point he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But there wasn't a lot a fanfare. The greatest story in history happened and most people didn't know until much later. The Savior of the world did not devour His human enemies but visited with and taught His friends, preparing them for their work on His behalf. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to figure out how God will accomplish the rule of his of, of the rule and reign of Christ on earth. We don't have to come up with his plan 
for what he will do. His plan has already been demonstrated. It's hiding in plain sight. He takes evil and he absorbs all of it and he sends it immediately where it goes, where it's supposed to go. He takes it with him to the pit and leaves it there. And what's left is glory. Our task is then the same as the earthly disciples. We live unto Christ. So we submit to His way. We follow in His steps. Be willing every day to die to yourself that you may, as that grain of wheat that fell to the ground and died and gave rise to more fruit, that also in the way that we live and the way that we die, we would also bring forth fruit everlasting to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the glorious gift of our Savior. And as we now come before you in the communion meal, we ask that you would strengthen and uphold us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed, K-I-R-K dot com.